Welcome to Storytelling with a Purpose, a Memory Fox production. Here, we are calling all nonprofit marketers, and we are giving you access to experts in the field. We interview thought leaders, nonprofit marketers themselves, those who are making the world a better place through their work and through understanding and executing great stories. Today, we have Calliope Glaros, who's going to talk to us about ethical storytelling. And we're going to dive in really deep on talking about how to gain consent, how best to represent and tell stories of those that you gather from, as well as how to connect your donors, to your supporters, to your team. We also talk a bit about trauma-based therapy, and she gives us some really great examples of questions that you can ask while you're doing those interviews with your storytellers, those who are benefiting from your programs in the field. This podcast is going to be fantastic, and I'm so excited for you to tune into it today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. You are listening to Storytelling with a Purpose, a Memory Fox production. Today, we are joined by Calliope Glaros, Principal Consultant of Philanthropy Without Borders. And today, we're going to dive into a number of different topics, really focusing not only on her journey, but also really diving into and thinking about the theme of ethical storytelling. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Celine. I'm excited to be here. So before we dive in too deep, let's talk a little bit about your background and what brought you to Philanthropy Without Borders. Yeah. So Philanthropy Without Borders is um, a consulting firm that I founded four years ago. I used to work um, for a nonprofit um, you know, as, as their development officer. So I come from a background um, focused really on uh, individual giving. And I started the organization to focus on a particular aspect of individual giving, which is around donor travel. So bringing donors from one location, one part of the world to see the work that's happening in another part of the world. Um, and it was through those experiences that I really saw the importance of ethical storytelling. Mm-hmm. Can you define for us, how, how do you define ethical storytelling and how do you teach it? Yeah, I think that, you know, this is a term where we've le- pulled, pulled a lot and learned a lot from journalism. And the approach in journalism is essentially mm-hmm. one of do no harm, right? So get the facts straight, you know, um, make sure that you're not traumatizing your story contributor, yep. portray them accurately, portray them with dignity. But I think in the nonprofit sector, we actually have to do a step above that. Um, and for us, do no harm is the baseline. But going above that, it's really more around how are we providing value? How are we providing value to our story contributors so that they can leave the experience feeling enriched, feeling like it was um, that their opportunity to share the story was a positive one? How are we providing value to the audience? How are we educating them? How are we helping helping to deepen their critical consciousness around certain issues? Um, and then I think where we really have um, where what we should really be aiming for in ethical storytelling is changing beliefs and behaviors. And mm. so, um, so I, you know, I didn't come from a marketing background. I worked in major gifts. Um, I've seen the experiences that donors can have when they actually get to physically see the impact of their support. And I know that, you know, they're coming to a lot of these encounters with a lifetime of being exposed to certain narratives and certain stories. And, um, it's our job as a nonprofit to, to really help 
cha- change the narratives in some way um, for the better um, and to educate our donors so that they can make wiser and more conscious choices. I like how you're putting that forward as a challenge, right? I, I love the idea that as nonprofit practitioners and marketers and partners, that we have the responsibility to do ethical storytelling. We have the responsibility to change minds and beliefs and get people to understand parts of our mission, correct? It's, it's, it's part of what we need to do. Yeah, Celine. I mean, so as a fundraising consultant, this might sound a bit strange, but I believe that there's always um, more to solving a problem than money than money can mm-hmm. remedy, right? Um, you know, so if it was if money was all we needed, I think a lot of the right. problems in our world would already be solved. Um, it it has to be about really tackling some of those structures that are in place that create the problems from the beginning, and the way of tackling those structures, you know, begins with changing the beliefs and behaviors of individual people um, who can then make different kinds of decisions um, that can impact those larger structures that can help remove the barriers uh, and solve the problems that we're working so hard to combat at our nonprofits. So let's dive into a little bit of the tactics of how you do it. So how do you how do you get people comfortable with sharing their story? How do you use empathy? I know you talk a lot about this, using empathy rather than really exploiting those who were are benefiting from our services. Yeah, I, I think first we we have to define what empathy actually is. I would tell people it's not feeling whatever another person feels. Um, often we don't know what another person is feeling in a particular situation. And if we've had mm-hmm. very different life experience than they have, how do we really know how they're experiencing any kind of um, situation? So I often quote the work of sociologist Milton Bennett, who says that that sympathy is assuming similarity. It assumes that you think the same that I do. And so I'm going to treat you the way I would want to be treated. But empathy mm-hmm. assumes difference. It, is, it assumes that you and I, we may be different. If we have things in common, that's great. But I'm assuming that we're different um, and holding space for that difference. So I'm actually going to treat you the way you want to be treated. Um, and the challenge with that is we often don't know how someone wants to be treated unless we ask them. And so this mm-hmm. comes back to, I think, one of the key principles of ethical storytelling uh, and also actionable tactics is around consent. Um, how are, how is consent really showing up in your entire storytelling process and not just in your media form that people sign? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, to your question about getting people comfortable. I mean, think about how you recruit storytellers in the first place. Are they given opportunities to self-select, you know, instead of necessarily being asked? Um, If they're being asked, are they being asked in a way that um, allows them to say no or allows them Mm -hmm. to say not yet? Um, Are they being prepared for the interview? Do they know the questions in advance? Do they know its purpose? Do they know who's going to be asking them? Um, Even when they sign the form, which is such a... um, you know, a critical thing, particularly in the United States, we, we love the written word and we love, we love signing forms, forms, right? We love forms. Um, the, does the, the signing of the form still allow them to change their mind later on? Um, you know, are you able to, and I know every nonprofit is different and this isn't possible everywhere, but are you able to go back to the storyteller, um, you know, with the story and, and ask for, for feedback or if they have any edits? Um, you know, before, you know, before it gets published, before it gets spliced up into all of those, you know, videos or social media posts, um, you know, or campaign appeal letters, um, you know, do you give them an opportunity to, to, you know, edit it and really, um, verify, yes, this is how, you know, this was accurate and this is how I want my story told. Um, so 
working with your storytellers collaboratively behind the scenes is critical in this process. I like how you just broke down all these different places that people can give us consent. And it's so much more than just a form, right? It's so much more than just checking a box, but it's building in a conversation and building in a relationship with the people that we're serving. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so interesting, Celine. There's such a double standard um, in nonprofits when it when it comes to consent. You know, we're constantly asking our donors how they want to be communicated with. We keep very detailed notes in the database of who likes to text and who likes to email and when when to contact certain people with what if you know donors have the option to opt out of any communications they receive and we'll respect that. But the number of media consent forms I've seen that says your consent is irrevocable you know, does that make any sense? <laughs> does that make any right. sense at all? You know, um, why that would be the case. So we have to give people, um, you know, we have to allow them choice. We can't, we can't and shouldn't put up barriers where barriers don't need to be. Um, and we should be treating our story contributors the way we treat our donors. I really like that. Cause it's not something I ever thought about in those clear of terms is equating the two pieces and being as thoughtful as we are with how we communicate to the people who are receiving our services as are the people who might be funding or giving us some of that way to execute it. Absolutely. So now as we, as we think about our fundraising campaigns, and this is me coming at it as from a marketer's perspective, how do you teach folks to come together around storytelling and around integrating that into some of their fundraising campaigns? Yeah. And so I think what's really important is to have a sense from the organization of what are your key messages. Um, So, you know, in addition to raising money, what are those beliefs and behaviors that you want to change from the audience? Um, We can't change everything. And, you know, in marketing, you know, you don't want to tell people to do 12 different things. And so um, and so coming together to really assess, you know, what are the most important stereotypes that we want to push back against? Um, You know, what are the stories that we're not telling, right? Everyone's Mm. telling these certain stories. What are the ones we're not telling that should be heard? Um, And getting really clear on those key messages. And then as an organization, as a team, um, you know, whether you're volunteer run or you have a whole department, um, getting clear on, you know, what are our principles? What what do we believe? Um, Every organization has organizational values, but how do those values show up in storytelling specifically? And then what are some corresponding guidelines that make sense? You know, often I'm asked around, you know, very specific questions around what people should and shouldn't do. And it's hard for me to answer them because it Mm -hmm. really depends on your organization. There are some who've decided um, as a guideline not to use uh, photographs of people who have not received the services. So stock imagery of of models or Mm -hmm. um, of random, you know, community members that have consented to being photographed and not to portray those people as, um, you know, folks who've been impacted by their programs. They only show people who've truly been impacted. However, that's not possible for many organizations where protecting people's privacy is essential. Um, And, you know, for, for them, you know, the, the people in the programs might, you know, want to have a model representing them, you know, in a photograph. Mm-hmm. So again, we're treating people the way they want to be treated. It depends on your organization. It depends on who, um, who, who you're working with and how you're impacting them and the relationship you have to your story contributors. And so there are, no, there are very few, um, you know, right and r- wrong ways of doing things that are unilateral. Um, everything very much depends on how you're situated in your work. 
I like the idea of really breaking down and being thoughtful about those key messages and integrating what are your principles of content? What are your principles of the way that you email or the way that you communicate and how you even refer to people who get your services? I've heard... I've heard people really resist the idea of the word clients, even just being thoughtful mm-hmm. about, okay, they're not clients, they're community members or whatever that term is, right? Have you, have you seen success there? Oh, you know, the term is really hard, especially in my work, because when I'm, when I'm, um, you know, if I'm teaching a specific organization, we can refer to people, you know, if they're an academic institution, like students, right? right? We can refer yeah. to them in, in, you know, in the context um, that we're working in. But when I'm talking to a broad audience of people with very different missions, uh, I don't think we've really arrived at a particular word. And so I say like storytellers or story contributors. Um, I, you know, I, there are folks that use the word clients and that are fine with it and others that, that don't. Um, in, in academic work, there's been a lot of research around beneficiary portrayal. And so I have to mm. tell people that's if you're, if you're Googling things and you want to see some studies with good evidence, you know, beneficiary representation and beneficiary portrayal are the terms you're going to be Googling. And I know you might not like the word beneficiary, <laughs> but that's still what's being used in the academic space. Um, and so I think it's, it's right for us to be questioning the words that we use um, to describe the people impacted by our work. Um, it's right to, to, to be specific and to use terms that, that those people would want us to use. Um, you know, and, and it's challenging Mm -hmm. and it's a journey that we're all moving through. And how do we get some of those really, those stories that show impact and show results, but that may be a bit more personal. How do we create environments? And I know ethical storytelling is all about getting consent and getting people involved. How do you, from the get go, how do you build a culture where, people understand that a storytelling is important, but B I am safe here to share my story. Right. So of course, like so much of the, this, um, you know, has to happen behind the scenes. I think one really important thing that organizations should do if they haven't done it is get feedback from your story contributors about the story. So this isn't Mm. them providing feedback about their own story. Um, You actually, in fact, should ask folks who have never shared their story with the organization, but taking some of the um, marketing collateral that you've produced and saying, what do you think about this? How does this make you feel? And also, what do you want to see? Right? What are what stories are we not telling? You know, what's maybe missing from this instead of just kind of um, gut reactions to what is present? Um, you should absolutely be getting feedback. People will trust you more um, if you ask for their feedback and act on it um, because mm-hmm. they know that their opinion matters, and so that begins to create um, a, a climate of trust, and that can help set you up. Um, you know, for a better relationship and for someone to share certain, um, you know, certain aspects of their story. I also like in the actual interview, when someone agrees to share a story, um, I like to ask questions like, what do you want people to know about you? Right? So lots Mm -hmm. of folks are going to be listening to this or reading this story. What do you want them to know? What do you want them to do differently? Um, And it gives them some um, control, you know, or an opportunity to, to share the kind of change that they would like to see instead of us as writers or editors, you know, making some assumptions about what those should be, you know, beyond giving money, right? Can you, are there any other prompts that you could give us that you found to be really successful to create that environment? I love that. How you said, okay, what do you want people to do? How do you want people to feel? Is there anything else? Yeah. um, You know, I think there's been a lot of good work done around sort of trauma-informed interviewing, um, you know, 
I think sharing questions in advance with certain storytellers is really helpful so that they know what to prepare and asking if there's anything off limits. Again, it's a, it's a consent issue. Um, and you know, sometimes things turn into a a dialogue. And so I would just say like, don't go in with your clipboard and be super rigid, um, be present, be very present and, um, and, you know, be, be open to hearing, hearing more and asking probing questions and going off script because these things will happen very organically. Um, and some people will, you know, will, will, will want to talk and, you know, you just, they just won't be able to stop, you know, and they, they love sharing and some people will be more reserved. And so being able to adapt your style, being able to be aware of your own communication style and of other styles and being able to adapt in the moment, um, is a skill that you'll want to build. I can't tell you how many times I've, especially when we started the podcast, I started with, I'm like, okay, I have my 12 questions. This is what I'm going to get through. And then I'd get thrown off and I'd be like, oh my gosh, how do I get back to where I wanted to be? But sometimes you can't, right? Like the, the conversation takes its own course and it's, that's the art and the science, right? Of storytelling. It's that being prepared, feeling ready to go, but also being ready to adapt in the moment. You absolutely have to be. Yeah. And what I'm curious about on your end, I know philanthropy without borders, it feels very globally inspired. And I'm assuming travel is a really important part of your life. Can you talk a bit about how how that idea came to place and how it is a core of your organization? Sure. Um, I grew up a third I grew up what's called a third culture kid. Um it's a label that's used to describe someone that grew up in, in a culture that their parents are not a part of. And so um, so I'm Greek. I grew up in the United States. Um, I've also lived in other countries throughout, throughout my life. And I've always felt, um, I've always sort of, I guess, been very self-aware of my own of my own culture, of, of how things are, are different in my family or with me personally. And it made me very interested in other people. Um, actually, before I got involved in um, fundraising, I was doing intercultural training. And this is how I think my work in ethical storytelling mm-hmm. is very informed by my background in intercultural training. So working with, um, with teams and with groups of people who um, are, you know, from one particular place going to another to, to do to do work for, for all sorts of reasons. And um, they're very capable in their domain of expertise, but they might not be as well prepared in, um, in adapting to some of the differences um, interpersonally that they're going to experience at the new site. And I did a number of, of those training programs. Um, you know, I got in, involved in fundraising, like many fundraisers, you know, fell into it just, just like the, re- the rest of us, um, and then became so aware of um, the disconnect between how we prepare our donors um, to adapt across cultures. And, uh, and that's what became kind of the focus of my firm. And then such a big part of that is, is the storytelling that takes place before our donors even set foot on a particular location. Um, it's everything that they've been, you know, that they've learned about our organizations and the way that they've been, you know, communicated to. And all of that is informing their perceptions of what's really happening um, on site. And so I'd say that's how my, you know, my personal background has kind of come into play in this journey. And as we wrap, is there any piece of advice that you'd give us storytellers out there to really be better informed and to just be a better resource for those that we want to lift up and put a put a bright light on. Yeah, I would absolutely say um, just keep keep remembering what true empathy is. Keep remembering that um, you know 
uh, like the, the golden rule has its limitations and I'm not the barometer for how all people in the world want to be treated. And the simplest thing when we don't know how people want to be treated is just ask. And so be someone who asks questions, be someone who, who listens, be someone who, who questions why practices are the way they are. Right. Um, you know, when you see certain consent forms or there's certain protocols saying, why are we doing this? You know, and why mm-hmm. aren't we doing this? And I think being someone who listens and, and asks questions, um, you know, is going to, you know, help position you to continue to provide more and more value. How can we connect with you? How can we support you and your journey as we move forward? Oh, thank you so much for this question. Um, so you can find me on philanthropywithoutborders.com. Um, you can also um, please connect with me on LinkedIn at Calliope. I'm the only Calliope Gleros on LinkedIn. I assure you are. You are. You are. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, I would love to stay in touch. Um, and, you know, don't hesitate to reach out for anyone listening if they have any questions. Thank you for your work. Thank you for bringing to mind those pieces of really being thoughtful about how we tell stories and just being better all around people in this world and keeping our mission in the forefront. Great. Thank you so much, Celine. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time and being so generous. And a huge thank you to our guest, Kelly Obi-Gleros, with giving us the insights and the challenge statement of how do we collect stories in a really ethical way? I don't know about you, but some of those comments and those ideas and the questions she put forth was really mind-blowing to me and pushes me to think, okay, how am I collecting stories? How am I being thoughtful about consent? How am I being thoughtful about the stories and making sure they represent those that we are working so hard to help and support? Be a partner with those who are our storytellers. Thank you again and keep going forth and changing the world and getting better at it and upskilling. Keep it up. And thanks for listening to Storytelling with a Purpose, a Memory Facts production.